Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to address the last podcast that we released with Max Nussenbaum. Max's interview was effectively a post-mortem on Castle, which went under, and there was definitely some pushback on that episode. Some folks were a little put off that, for example, Max criticized maintenance markup as being a fundamental conflict of interest. And there's definitely some distaste around the fact that there's big money coming into our space, and not all these players seem like they have the execution chops to deserve to be here in our space, whatever that means. Right, wrong, there's definitely some of that sentiment. Well, guess what? Today we have another funded startup on the show that's raised even more money, $35 million. Wow, what a high bar these guys have taken upon them to actually make good on that $35 million raise. Will they do it? Can they do it? Can anyone? Is it possible? I don't know. But what I do know is that Doug does have significant operational chops and background in our space. He's not a young kid, a young punk with a dream. So whether or not you are running a model that looks anything close to this, and if you're listening to this, the odds are low, I hope you take something out of this interview. I hope you walk into it with an open mind and with an ear and an aim to learn from some folks that are doing some interesting stuff. All right, let's go ahead and get into the episode. Data tells a much more detailed story than anybody appreciates today. Welcome, closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season three on profit. I'm your host, Jordan Wayla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage 100 units or 1,000, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today I'm talking with Doug Bryan, the CEO and co-founder of Mind, a venture-backed property management company that allows landlords and tenants access to real-time data about their properties. They've raised over $35 million and currently manage more than 2,000 doors across California. Prior to founding Mind, Doug was the co-founder of Waypoint Homes, the second largest public REIT that managed over $3.5 billion in assets all across the country. And before that, Doug was a avid football player, took it as far as you can get it. That's right. He was an NFL kicker. Wide depth of experience, all this coming together, hopefully to build a really effective property management company to deliver greater results for your average single family investor. We're going to dig into the details here. Doug, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So, Doug, I want to start off by getting some background with Waypoint specifically. So, let's go ahead and go to the very, very beginning. Like, take me back to the Maple Street in the days of Bill Ketsaros bidding on the homes of uh, <laughs> on the courthouse steps. Wow, you did your homework. So, yeah, Maple was our, our our first house, and I definitely consider myself a real estate investor first. And in those days, I. I was kind of like just getting out of my NFL playing days. I retired in 2005 and really got into investing while playing. But pre-foreclosure crisis, what I was mostly focused on was kind of what other people were focused on in the, in, in the multifamily residential rental world, which was you know buying bigger complexes and repositioning them and holding them for cash flow, raising money for that kind of stuff. And you know we saw what was happening with the foreclosure crisis and. I started to ask myself, like, you know, why am I chasing these apartment deals where I'm, you know, bidding on them and it's a competitive process when they're just giving away these houses? And from everything I could see, the the economics looked to be far superior, you know, partly because nobody else was really bidding on them. And so I got together with my partner Colin, who I knew through an angel investing network, and we decided to experiment with our own money. I mean, really, it was not to like, hey, let's start a company. It's like, wow, this looks really interesting. Like, let's do some due diligence and check it out. And so 
we bought 26 homes together, sold some, you know, just to kind of see if we could actually get the values that we thought post renovation and also rented some out to see what kind of yields we could get. And we thought it was compelling enough to go out and start raising high net worth money. And we ended up doing 11 different funds, a bunch of them were high net worth. And then we started raising institutional capital and ultimately um, did a deal with Barry Stern, looked at Starwood Capital and turned it all into a, a REIT, which we ran for two years. All right. So winding back to that first deal, because I just want to drive home and, and get clear on your experience. You're in the NFL. You realize the career is going to wind down at some point. You're finding the next thing. You're using your own money. Take me back to that that first deal just to really get visceral about what the economics were like at that point. It was a really scary time to buy. You know, if you remember, this is late 2008, late 2009. I mean, in parts of the Bay Area, prices had fallen precipitously, 60-70%. All investors were sitting on the sidelines. No one could even imagine why you'd buy something. And, you know, we were looking at like, wow, you know, Maple Street. I mean, I remember like, I think we can get fifteen, sixteen hundred $1,600 a month. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath house, Pittsburgh, California, not too far from BART, which makes, you know, San Francisco, Oakland job centers very accessible. And this house had, I think, sold at 400000 at the peak, and we could potentially buy it for sixty five or 70000 Do the math on, on the current yield. The house was in disrepair, so we knew we'd have to put in like twenty grand. But, you know, we could come in, add the $20,000 of, of improvements, lease it for $1,500, $1,600, and get, you know, a 10% plus cash on cash return. And be coming in at, you know, less than half of construction costs, 30%, 30, 40% of, of what the prior peak value was. And, you know, if you're a real estate investor and you're in a market like the Bay Area that, you know, you fundamentally believe in, I mean, kind of turns into a little bit of a no-brainer. Like, why wouldn't you do that if you could get debt that, you know, you could lock in for a while and, you know, basically ensure that you could hold for 10 years because who knows how the timing is going to work. But... That was kind of how we thought about Maple and really all the houses we bought and kind of what gave us the, the impetus and the courage to move forward with that business model. So you're in the Bay Area, which the unique kind of magic dynamics of being there, anytime you have a working model because of access to capital, the dynamics of just living in that area, there's a tendency to ask, what if, what if we could scale this? So you jump to basically raising some capital from some high net worth individuals, then some institutional money. Eventually you do the deal with Barry Sternlicht. Could you describe like, what was the inflection point of Starwood as you're growing up to eventually somewhere around 550 people? What was the inflection point where you knew that that was really going to turn into a large business with a lot of velocity? Was that obvious from day one or was there a moment that was like a real turning point? It was a seven and a half year period that we're talking about here from kind of start to finish. I mean, I, I can't say there were like super obvious inflection points. Um, you know, I think one was when we did the deal with Barry and all of a sudden we had a public company. Prior to that, it was all private and you know, how were we going to keep this company going by raising more capital to buy more houses? Like that was kind of always in flux and a risk. I think once we were public, it's like, okay, you know, this is a real company. It's not, it's not going anywhere. I think one of the other early realizations, and this sort of ties into what we're doing now with Mind is the way we set Waypoint up was, um, and I guess an important point is my partners, my background is a software engineer. And so we kind of came into this thinking, okay, economics really interesting, but how do you create scale? So obviously building some technology and some systems are typically a part of that. And so we, you know, we built our own system that we called the Waypoint Compass and we use Yardi for accounting, but we built all of our workflow processes from like how we underwrote homes to construction management tools, to a leasing system, to the way we did a lot of our property management activities, we built our own software and, you know, building software is not easy. And I would say, you know, three, four years, probably a year, year and a half before we did the deal with um, Barry, but we, we had taken it. So we raised money from the Columbia University Endowment and GI Partners. And, 
So that was kind of like, you know, the big leagues. And we just started to see that like the system we had built was like actually giving us efficiencies and we could give reporting to institutional investors that would not have otherwise been available to us. And that kind of clued us off to like, wow, you know, this different approach to building our own system and, you know, the system you build and how you use it can actually pay, pay dividends. And so that was kind of another big moment where we realized, wow, I think we're, I think we're onto something. So the promise of the asset class that really defined the play of what you were doing was being able to drive the same kind of returns from SFH as historically people had expected from multifamily. You're in this critical window where there's the rise of things like cloud computing, there's the rise of a deeper level of analysis, et cetera. If you were gonna distill down what the secret sauce was of you being able to drive the same kind of returns without the large economies of scale that you get from multifamily, what, what was really at the core of your ability to pull that off? I wish it was like one simple thing. I think it's a bunch of different things. I think at a high level, you know, what we ultimately ended up creating was a vertically inter- integrated operating company, meaning we hired our own employees to do everything. Like we tried to outsource certain things including property management. And at the end of the day, our teams were doing everything from buying to construction management. The only thing we didn't take on was the third-party GC part. So what that offers you is, the, is, is more control, right? Cost control, quality control, just general execution control. That was a big part of it. The other part of it too was just like, and this was a central thesis, was have all the data in one system. I think that's one of the thing, things today that's challenging with real estate. It's very hard to do the amount of analysis that you would want to do to you know, make better investment decisions or try to figure out how to optimize something within your operation if you have to pull data from lots of different sources. So you know, we ended up having all the data. I mean, really, it was in two sources. It was, and this was one of our big challenges. It was in Yardi and Encompass, but like every day we had to tie the two together and had a whole team that did that. So, but I would say the data we had and the way we used it. And then I would say kind of as a, as a third piece is, and this is a, a saying that I really like, I guess I sort of bring it from my sports background is if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. We really embrace that. And technology can be something that a lot of people misinterpret it. And one of the ways that we use technology was just to really systematize everything we were doing so that people did it across the organization in a very consistent manner. And what that offered us the ability to do was kind of measure how we were doing and then use our system to make the results transparent. So we could look at average days to lease or whatever metric we wanted to, like we could say, Hey, why is the Dallas team doing it in you know 23 days when it's taking 31 in Orlando? So we basically were able to gamify the business across regions because we set up a system system of measurement and made that data transparent across the organization and then got smart committed people focused on like iteratively improving and refining processes, et cetera. And that was a big part of what, frankly, it's the statistic that I'm the most proud of from the whole business because it was the biggest one in question. At the end with 17,000 plus units and 13 markets, we were running at you know, roughly 62 to 63% NOI margins, which is what you typically see in a large multifamily business. And so what that means was we were able to take a lot of the operational and logistical challenges associated with managing a bunch of disparate units and creating enough efficiency to have compelling margins that, you know, investors can get behind. So we've laid some of the groundwork here. Eventually you exit Waypoint, you found Mind, you have a wealth of context, you have a new mission though. Uh, Previously with Waypoint, fair to say that Wall Street was the primary beneficiary of the work that you were doing there. Whereas with mine, you've pivoted to serve the small, maybe up until um, 
some, some mid-sized investors, but in large part, most of your clients currently are, are somewhere between the mom and pop and the uh, non-professional investor that owns 10, 10 or less properties. Is that fair to say what the clientele looks like? Yeah, we have a couple that I would, I mean, one for sure that we would call institutional. It's the biggest landlord in San Francisco. We manage their um, non-San Francisco stuff. They're for sure the biggest. And yeah, full spectrum down to, you know, a guy with a house. So what gains will cross apply from all the background with Waypoint? Now that you've been in the business for a couple of years, what's, what's different? What points of leverage have cross applied? What points of leverage have not? For example, the focus on financial performance and return, objectively, that would seem like that would be universally appealing. Do you find, though, that there's any forms of resistance relative to the persona or the customer profile of dealing with with moms and pops? Or do you feel that that financial performance pretty universally applies in terms of being attractive to the end consumer? First and foremost, I consider myself an investor and Colin considers himself an investor and kind of the the realization that a company like mine should exist was really when, you know, we both left Waypoint, like Waypoint managed you know, we had bought a bunch of houses um, and, and Waypoint was managing them all for me. Like Waypoint didn't do third-party management, but because, you know, we were the founders, we get to have our, our company do it. And so it was really nice. Like I had, you know, real-time access through Compass on exactly what was happening with my property. You know, the reporting gave me tons of information. It was just, you know, what I would call like proactive, you know, professional caliber management. It was great. And, I, and, and then when I left, all of a sudden it was like, hey, Doug, by the way, sorry, we got to offboard your properties in the next couple of months. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Like, I interviewed every property manager in the East Bay when we were trying to do Waypoint and, you know, couldn't find any that I really felt comfortable with. And I also know that like, while I really value what property management does for an investment. Like, I don't want to be the property manager. So, you know, what are we going to do? And so we kind of had this idea of like, you know, we helped Wall Street investors and institutional investors make a bunch of money. We each individually had a personal problem that like we felt like we were uniquely qualified to solve. Like we had learned a lot from the Waypoint journey. And we said to ourselves like, hey, why don't we like, take all of our learnings and some of the key people from our team and go create a service platform. So instead of trying to buy everything, like let's not own anything and just service it. Cause we felt like what we had built at Waypoint, we got it to 17,000, but we felt like this could be managing hundreds of thousands of units across the U S like each incremental unit in a market where we already had a presence teams of people and data, like it just got cheaper and cheaper every incremental unit. So we're like, hey, what if we set up a new company that didn't have to buy everything and let's do apartments too. So we do single family rental and small apartments because the secret to this business, making it a successful business is geographic density, right? So we were in like 10 markets. We had over a thousand units in 10 different markets you want to be in markets where you have a deep presence. So there's a lot of reasons um, why that creates efficiency. Um, and so we decided that, you know, this was a, a worthwhile project that, that we were all excited about. But yeah, there are challenges. And I think that, you know, one of the things that has been the most difficult is we think very much like institutional in, investors and optimizing for vacancy versus the rent you get versus, you know, the amount of money you put into a turn. And I think in some cases we've tried to be, you know, overly scientific and maybe in some cases um, assume that everybody was on the same page. And so I think fundamentally for us, you know, one of the biggest challenges has been, you know, managing for, Lots of individual investors who have different priorities and different perspectives. So, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this can appreciate that. I mean, there's people who, you know, when it comes to turning a unit, they're just, they're solving for occupancy. That's all they care about, right? So that's a different way, approach than we would take. And so there's, you know, a hundred different examples of how people will, achieve, will choose to 
you know, make decisions or, or run their properties. And so we've had to, you know, I think learn to be more flexible and figure out how to communicate better with our owners so that we can ultimately provide them the service that they want to the best of our abilities. So what is the fundamental brand promise though, Doug? I mean, what cross cuts against mom and pop versus a middling investor? What is the fundamental brand promise that Mind represents that represents meaningful differentiation in the market to the end consumer? We want to be your investment partner. When we look at our target customer, I mean, there's a huge range around this. Like, you know, it's someone who owns five to seven units and owns it in an LLC. And that doesn't mean that they have to have an LLC, but someone who has an LLC, like they're thinking of it as an investment. And if someone's thinking of it as an investment versus, you know, I think there's, there's real estate investors and there's real estate collectors. And we want to work with investors, people who are looking to, you know, op- optimize for risk and return and use as much data as possible to make better investment decisions so they can have a better return and ultimately grow their portfolio. And so, you know, we've created tools and processes and access to information so that we can, you know, fulfill that promise. And, you know, there's obviously lots of ways to drive revenue and minimize costs. And some of these things can be um, helped by technology. So I'd love to hear you kind of riff more on the problem, the nature of the inefficiencies in the market related to traditional single family property management that you think MIND is capitalizing upon. Um, tell me some more about what you think is is broken and more specifically, why it's broken. We live in a capitalistic society that's always looking for greater efficiency, picking up um, slack and, and profiting off of it. And maybe broken is an overly strong word, but certainly fragmented. The single family market continues to be regional and local by definition. We see a couple of roll-up players, but the market has seemed to resist this for the most part up until this point, up until the last few years. Why do you think that is and and what's changing now? Yeah, super good, um, complicated question. Um, I would say that there's a saying, you know, you and many of your listeners may have heard, which is um, data is the new oil. So, you know, in past generations, it's been the companies and the countries that had the oil had the power and the wealth. And in this day and age, um, it's the companies with data that um, have the power, like this data, if you could, I mean, I heard someone else phrase it differently where data is the, is the oil well, you still need to you know, figure out how to extract the data and then get value out of it, which is a whole separate thing. And I agree with that, but I think fundamentally, you know, data and controlling data and being able to use data to help make better decisions is a huge part of it. I also think, this was one of the things that no one believed was possible was that scale in this, what we call small residential. So kind of our defined market space is 50 units and less. They're buildings that really can't support full-time property management people on site, which means there's a whole logistics component to it. I think in the past, I mean, nobody thought that we would ever get up to thousands of units, let alone 17,000. And today you have invitation homes with, 83,000 homes. So the fact that you can, I I think one of the things that we helped prove was that property management companies can um, operate at scale and that there's a lot of benefits to that scale. And so, you know, that leads you down some different paths. And and so I agree with what you're saying that property management's broken. Like, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I just think there's a bigger opportunity. Like this is an industry that should have scale um, players, but none of the software out there is really designed for scale in this industry. It's why, you know, Yardi did not work well for us. You know, I know others that have struggled with other platforms trying to really scale with them and have access to all the data and frankly connect in, different pieces. For example, you know, we're big proponents of smart locks and self showings. Like 
not easy to plug all that into a different system. There's lots of examples of disparate systems that are difficult to connect. I guess I would say I think there's a way to execute the business in a more efficient way at scale and ultimately collect and control more data, which allows us to add more value to owners and for us to also create a successful company ourselves. So let's talk about what's lost and gained there, Doug. As you say that, I'm sure you can think of the landlord, for example, that says, hey, Doug, it's great that you have some predictive algorithm related to tenant screening, but you know, my personal preferences, there's really nothing that replaces looking somebody in the eye and shaking their hands, et cetera. There's always going to be that pushback. What is lost with scale in your mind? What is the argument in favor of the mom and pop that knows the neighborhood, lived there for 30 years, and I'm using air quotes here, but manages their property like it's their own? There's roughly, call it 35 million units in like our addressable market of buildings, 50 units and smaller, like we're never going to manage all of them. We don't want to manage them all. We couldn't do it well. There's all different kinds of owners who want different things. And you know, we come across them all the time. I think there's owners who really want that like highly, highly personal, customized, you know, kind of boutique approach where, you know, you meet with your, you know, a specific person um, every week and go over everything with them. And, you know, we might not be the best fit for that. Having, having said that, you know, one of the core philosophies that we brought from Waypoint is this is a people business. It's operationally intensive, labor intensive. It always will be. The whole point of the technology is not, is, is not to make it impersonal or make all the personal interactions go away. It's, it's really built to like make our team more efficient. And so if you think about something as basic as like what we call owner services. So in every market, we have a high caliber property manager in the market who's the point of contact for an owner. So an owner has a point of contact. It doesn't mean that other people on the mine team wouldn't answer their questions and could get to it faster, but like they have a point of contact in the market that they can sit down and talk to. And we've tried to set this role up and support them with, you know, technology and data so that they can spend more time adding value to owners' properties than doing, you know, what I would call some of the very important, but more rote activities such as, you know, collecting rent or posting notices. Like these are all super important things. Like the trains need to run on time, but you don't necessarily want the high caliber person who's capable of like, you know, sitting down with an owner, walking a property and figuring out how to like asset manage and, and, and help them make more money to be doing those kinds of activities. So we've, you know, really focused on specialization to make sure things are getting done, but make sure that owners do have that high quality local relationship that they can deal with. Do you want to network with other grade A entrepreneurs that are ready to talk more than simple day-to-day operations? Are you interested in expanding your business through cutting edge sales, marketing, and growth strategies? If so, you need to be at the 2019 PM Growth Summit held in April in Austin, Texas. Check out at pmgrowsummit.com. Learn what the difference is between hope and actual results. It's called taking action. That's what we do collectively at the PM Grow Summit by bringing in world-class speakers, world-class attendees. Get more information at pmgrowsummit.com. Let's talk further about the leverage that you're getting out of the technology, particularly with the background that you have of doing a lot of analysis at scale to generate returns for institutional, highly demanding investors. Talk to me a little bit about revenue management, rent optimization, uh, and maybe how the conversation at Mind may be a little different or a little more nuanced uh, on those specific points as opposed to how your average landlord would think through the same issues. I'd say one place to start would be, you know, we've built a base property management system, including our own accounting system of record. And that's kind of the core system. And then, you know, similar to what I had described around smart locks, 
You know, we use Paylease as our payment portal. We use TransUnion to screen tenants. Well, one of the nice things about ten, about TransUnion is there's a proprietary algorithm that, you know, we can tweak. We've always been very focused on. And so this is, this is actually a classic example of like where sometimes our approach is not necessarily what one of our clients would do. Um, on their own. So, you know, people get very caught up in like how fast you lease a unit, how many days is it going to take you to lease? And, you know, part of the conversation needs to also be like, well, what's the lease rate you're getting? Right. And so then there's a way for you to lease it fast, lease it at a high rate, but still lose. Like, who are you actually putting into your property? And so we look at it holistically. And one of the things that we're really proud of is and I actually met with um, our representative from TransUnion a couple weeks ago, and they were looking at our data. So they basically looked at what our resident score was compared to all of their other resident scores in the Bay Area. And we're also in San Diego, so they looked at our score relative to the market. And it was something like, in the Bay Area, we were 50 points higher, and I think we're like 35 points higher in San Diego. And so... One of the things that we're very proud of and focused on is, you know, attracting great residents that are going to perform. So we've never had an eviction on someone we put in and we have very, very low delinquency. So part of that, I believe, is the mousetrap that we've set. We have a leasing process that's centered around self-showings and trying to create a very streamlined, and we're not there all the way today yet, but the vision is a seamless, mobile-enabled leasing process where you can literally find the property you want, go so far as to see an online tour, self-schedule a showing, and go through a quick you know, process to validate your identification, you know, put down a deposit, sign a lease, all through a, a mobile phone. And I'm convinced that just the the way that we our whole leasing process works attracts a certain kind of resident, which is allowing us to get you know much higher and better tenant profiles in the form of income and and FICO score. So, I mean that's just one example of how we think about placing tenants and you know trying to get the right person in at the right price and the right time frame. Totally makes sense. I mean, tenant screening seems like a, a classic example of the opportunity for technology in terms of having a deeper analytical model to look beyond just FICO, look at the composition of the FICO score, all the nuance there seems like it, it's ripe for exploiting a lot of opportunity for landlords that could pretty readily recognize that as being a demonstrable, tangible benefit, as opposed to non-differentiated points of specialization. We're number one, we've been in the business, et cetera. Let's talk more about some of the inherent struggles of running a property management business that maybe have lent itself towards resisting some of the scale that we need now see the market moving towards, specifically on the communication piece. Communication is the backbone of this business. How do you guys handle communications? How do you deal with, uh, do you take more of a case management approach? What systems, processes do you use? How do you be both efficient as well as bulletproof in the event that litigation ever comes up? Yeah, fantastic question. I think one of the maybe most overlooked aspects of the business when it comes to technology build out, which has been a little bit of a head scratcher to me. So, you know, there's great what I would call 21st century communications platforms out there like Zendesk. And like we tried to figure out how to use it for property management is just not set up for it. So, you know, we built our own, we have a case management system. So we philosophically believe in meeting our clients where they are. So if somebody wants a phone call, text, email, um, you know, we can do all of it. But our team is trained to log calls and data if it's done through. I mean, actually, we're getting to where texts show up in our cases too. It's really phone calls. But even if someone wants to send us an email, it shows up as a case for the, for us. And so having a case management system is a very powerful thing. It, to your last point, allows us to document and track every single conversation that's happening. It allows us to connect threads 
and share threads with other people on the team who may have an answer. And this is sort of behind the scenes. The client may not even know, you know, we're bringing in other resources to, to get a question asked. We can measure everything. So as a company, we are looking at time to first response, phone, cases, open to close. These are all metrics we're, we're using and we hold our teams accountable and we're always trying to figure out like, how can we get faster? Another example would be, and to me, this is one of like the just biggest conundrums in property management that we're trying, in third party property management that we're trying to solve is, you know, you can be getting it 98% right, but that 2% that it's not going right for can be extremely loud and extremely distracting. And so, you know, as a intelligent business person, you would say, hey, I would love to put disproportionate resources on that 2% to like get that taken care of because my business will just run more smoothly. But then the question becomes like, well, how do you know who the 2% are or what the tasks are? And so we actually just built this and I'm super excited about it. We call it our customer health score. So Amazon, I think Google and Amazon have this. It's basically a sentiment analysis algorithm where you can flow any document or communication through their algorithm and they can by looking at the language, like whatever language is used, if the person's happy, neutral, or sad. We believe when it comes to property management, this is really powerful. So literally in our case management system right now, every case either has a green smiley face, a yellow neutral face, or a red frowny face. And this is not something we invented. We're just like, this is the power of having your own system and technology. Our team can now look at a list of 20 cases and immediately scan down at number 18, which is the one with the frowny face, and get on it faster because this you know, third-party algorithm helped us look at the language in the case and get on it faster so we can get ahead of the problem. And so that's just another example of how we're approaching customer service and communications. The other basics, and this is a key... You know, it's interesting because I think players of scale, scale companies are often criticized for this, but I, I know that we are looking to measure everything. And so we do customer satisfaction scores on everything we do, and we do quarterly net promoter scores with our owners. So we're trying to be as data-driven as we can. And do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But the key is like looking at that customer feedback and having the the feedback loop so we can go back to our team and coach in, ter- in terms of improving in certain things where, where we may be off. And I think that just helps us continue to up our communications and, and level of customer service over time. So at the end of the day, property management is a very labor-intensive business. The compounding complexity in large part comes from managing third-party labor. Any insights or observations about the potential organization of the handyman labor market? Third-party maintenance coordination is kind of an Achilles heel of the industry. Do you have any any light at the end of the tunnel or, or any thought that maybe you guys are going to have an innovative solution in that area? Yes. I can tell you that it's, like you said, Achilles heel. Um, but I also think, you know, with those types of challenges, there is always an opportunity. So, um I can say that it is a little bit dependent on the market. Like we saw this at Waypoint, like every market's a little bit different. Right now is a very tough construction market. It's very, very hard in California. So, you know, we feel like we have to control our labor sources so we can get more reliable, high quality service, control the resident experience and the cost. So we're actively building out our own repairs and maintenance service right now. You know, I don't think... It's challenging and risky to to build a team to do every single work order you have. So I think, you know, looking to to staff to maybe do call it 60 to 70% of all your work internally, I think is not only a great opportunity in ter- in terms of controlling executional outcomes but also customer service, but frankly, it's a revenue generating opportunity. There there are margins there, and I think one of the things that we're really excited about in terms of how to use technology and data is, you know, you end up with all these different tasks 
over a geography, you know, wherever said property manager is, is operating. And, you know, these tasks sometimes required a certified specialist. Sometimes it's a really simple thing. Um, a lot of times the resident has to be home and, you know, they're only home certain hours and, you know, there's various traffic patterns. And so like what I see generally happening in this op in this business, and frankly, we we ended up getting a little bit more efficient at Waypoint, but you know, you have a repair and maintenance tech who gets a list of things to do at the beginning of the day, and then they go on Google Maps and they just start plugging in addresses and look at a route. But what we've just recently built is route and task optimization, where our system can look at a long list of tasks, look at certain criteria like you know when the resident's home, the skill level needed to perform the task, traffic patterns, and our system can actually tell our tech, this is the most optimal order to do this work. And, you know, so if we can get seven work orders done in a day instead of five or six, like that's a huge win for our clients. It's a huge win for us. And so I agree with you. It's really challenging, but I also think there's a big opportunity to earn uh, margins as a management company to provide better service. And this is an opportunity where I think technology is ripe to add efficiencies to just how this really logistics operation functions. I love that last piece. I'm reminded of the internal UPS program that was rolled out that would basically dictate to the driver how to run their route. The drivers were really resistant. How dare corporate think that this machine is going to tell us to do a better job of how to deliver packages in my city where I've had this route for a decade plus. And so internally, the challenge became to beat the algorithm. If you could make your own route faster than the algorithm, uh, hats off. But nine out of 10 times, drivers couldn't. So eventually, the efficiency one, as we talk about this high-level analysis, I'm inclined to ask you about client qualification. Having really thought hard about what it looks like to be profitable in various aspects of the business, what encouragement would you have to listeners of the show that are running a management company somewhere between 500 and 1,000 doors, and they're, they're kind of working through this question of knowing what client it makes sense to service. Even as you scale, you potentially get a little more efficient, a little more capable of moving, being more flexible, making money up market and down market. What's your basic approach to qualifying who you will and will not manage for in terms of the owner as well as the property? Yeah. So great question. I think one of the huge puzzles to put together for the industry. So I'd say, we will not manage in areas where we don't feel safe sending our team after dark. So if it turns into a no-fly zone after dark, we're going to be very resistant to putting our team at risk. We also will not deal with owners who are not respectful. So, you know, if an owner is not respectful um, and it happens more than once, like we're just going to cut off ties and say, look, you're not the, the person for us. Having said that, you know, I think one, where one of the real interesting opportunities in this industry lies is around pricing. So we have not put this puzzle together, but I can tell you that part of the reason we're building the system we're building, which is fundamentally a task management system, that's all property management is, it's a bunch of tasks, where we want to get, and we think by Q2 of next year, we will know what every one of our tasks cost. And so if we can start to attribute task loads or task frequency or types of tasks to specific types of properties, we can understand how to price them differently. So, you know, I would say like, you know, you might look at some owners and some properties and say, what, this is too much of a headache. And, you know, we might say, well, there's a price, <laughs> right? There's a price at which you would manage it. And I think the secret sauce is knowing what's that price. So again, we haven't put the puzzle together, but I think fundamentally, we are planning to be in a position by mid next year to know what our what task cost us like literally to every task what does it cost us to do it and so we can think about innovating around price and you know how do we service more owners and properties but do it in a way that's profitable for us so i think simplistically just thinking about like you got to have some basic parameters around types of properties neighborhoods owners you're not going to deal with 
it may be more challenging, but like how much more challenging? If it's 50% more challenging, like say you'll do it for 50% higher price and maybe they say no, but if they say yes, in theory, you should be indifferent. Love it. That's juicy, Doug. There's a big opportunity wrapped up in that. What's interesting to me is that this is a fantastic use case for making this over-the-top statement that data is the new oil. It was Gary Keller just the other day that was saying, quoted as saying, property management is the holy grail of data. Specifically, he said, if you use off-the-shelf property management software, who owns that data? They do. You don't. And what was interesting was his follow-up commentary in saying that's why the property management software companies are trading at massive multiples, not because of the money they make off just the software, but because of the underlying data that they own. What you just talked about is an exciting opportunity, but if you don't own your own data, if you can't massage it, if you can't mine it, what's the point in even talking about it? I do want to move on to the hot seat section to close up our interview. I have a series of questions. I want quick guttural answers. Doug, the first question is this. What podcast do you listen to? <laughs> I don't listen to very many podcasts. I don't. Have not, not a podcast guy. I'm not a podcast guy. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it, but it's true. Audiobooks? I don't know. I don't drive that much. So I, I like to read at the end of the day. So I, I read, but I don't, I don't do many autobots. Okay. Teach his own. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Doug, what did you make of Roofstock buying Street Lane? Gosh, you know, Gary, the CEO of Roofstock was my co-CEO at, at Waypoint. So I should have a better um, answer. I think there's a bunch of different reasons. I think one of them we just talked about, like property management's where all the data is. And they were not in the property management business. Now they are. It will be interesting to see how that develops and whether or not they go full-blown third-party management or if that was a one-off uh, experiment, but it's one to keep eyes on. How do you feel about the Waypoint brand gaining a second life as Colony Starwood rebrands as Starwood Waypoint Homes? Well, it had a second life and then it died when, when Colony merged with Imitation Homes. So all of our houses are now part of the 83,000 home Imitation Home umbrella. Wow, I was late to the game on that one. Man, that is amazing. Invitation is becoming an absolute monster. Here's what I'm proud of, though. Like, the COO of that company, Charles Young, like, he's our guy. Like, he ran Chicago. He was our SVP of the West and then um, COO of Waypoint. And to me, that was a statement that, like, the Waypoint guys figured out how to um, use technology to enable operations. And, you know, we want that thought leadership running this. I mean, it's the 14th biggest REIT in America, 83,000 homes. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Amazing. Doug, you're familiar with the concept of first principle thinking. Elon Musk talks about this, the whole notion of kind of skate to where the puck is going, not where it's at now, focusing on things that you know to be true. My question to you is, what do you know to be true about property management that will be true a decade from now? That data tells a much more detailed story than anybody appreciates today. And so when in doubt, we are trying to set up mechanisms to collect more data, spend more on a team of data scientists that can you know, use that data to add value for our clients. And so exactly where this will take us, not sure. I just, I'm convinced. <laughs> I know it to be fact that this industry will be surprised about how much leverage we will ultimately gain out of it. And it will tie into pricing. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. This last question is a little bit of a softball. Uh, you played for some of the best NFL coaches in the game, Ditka, Cypher, Dungy. As you look to business, tell me this, is mind a team or a family? We use the term team all the time. In fact, one of our company values is play like an A team. So we're a team, like we're not related, but we are a group of people working together towards a common mission with a lot of passion. And, you know, we are hard on each other. We give each other feedback. We push each other. We support each other. You know, if there's one thing I took from all my years of playing and all those different coaches that you mentioned, I mean, they all had a different approach of building and managing a team, but like, I think really approaching it like a team and building it as if it's a team is 
probably the core thing you can do as a, as a founder, as a CEO or any business owner. I think the more you can build a team, you get a lot of leverage in the one plus one equals three scenario if you can build it. Mm, love that. So to close the interview, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every single guest. And that is this, Doug Bryan, in your opinion, are entrepreneurs born or bred? I kind of feel like they're born that way, but that does not mean that they're not heavily influenced and educated by others around them. So, I, I mean, I do think there is a personality type that, you know, makes you more independent, makes you a little bit more headstrong, makes you want to, you know, kind of create your own destiny. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, you got no one else to to, to point the finger at than yourself, you know, other than yourself. So I, I tend to think people come into the world like that, but whether they ultimately become an entrepreneur is probably about, you know, support from family, friends, and mentors. One of the few in the born category, there is no right or wrong answer, Doug. I appreciate you coming on the show. For those that want to learn more about Mind, follow the story. What's the best place for them to go? Yeah, come to mind, um, M-Y-N-D dot C-O. Um, check us out. You know, we don't have all the answers. We're building an A-team. We're not, like, we want to be a national company at some point. We're, we just launched in Seattle. We're looking in the next three to five years to be um, a national company. So looking for um, partners who want to join forces with us and, you know, help us reinvent the industry and ultimately make it a better business. Hey, if you want to hear Doug speak in person, come to the PM Grow Summit next April in Austin. Doug's going to be speaking there. Doug, thanks again for coming on the show. See you in Austin. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.